Hello, my name is Debbie Evans. I'm the nursing correspondent for UK Column. Today, I'm delighted, but also very sad at the circumstances with which to welcome Alex Kelly, who's speaking out for the first time. And I think everybody is going to be extremely shocked at what they hear from Alex. Alex's reason to speak out today and to tell her story is because she has literally trailblazed her way through closed doors. Um, extraordinary. Um, but as you'll come to hear as we go on, um, we're going to have to just say that for, for litigation reasons, some names won't be able to be used as yet. So um, please bear with us. And I'm sure Alex, when she's in a position to, will come back and tell us more. So without further ado, I want to welcome you, Alex, to UK Column, and thank you so much for coming and speaking to us. How are you? I'm all right, Debbie. Thank you for having me on. I know you speak to quite a few of the UK CP family members, and we are really grateful for somebody listening, letting us speak, because um, this is just getting horrendous now. and more people are stepping forward every day that we're finding, and I'm personally finding, are contacting us and contacting myself. Um, and I know other members are, are getting that as well. So we are speaking up. And we're incredibly grateful um, for all of you to trust us to tell your stories. And we're going to come on to this later because you actually run a sister group to um, UK CV family for the bereaved. and. We'll come on to why you, you're running that group now, because I just want to take us back to January the 24th, 2021. Alex, tell us what happened on that day and tell us what you've been going through ever since, silently, alone, um, although you've had a great deal of support, I know, from UK CV family, but what happened on the 24th of January, 2021? So, um, well, first, first of all, yeah, the, the UK family has been amazing, um, and so has my family, my friends. I've been literally scaffolded up. Um, but like many people, my mum on the 24th of January, um, she was a retired nurse. She went for the AstraZeneca vaccine, and she died within four days um, on the 28th of January. Alex, as you said, your mum is a retired nurse and you've reminded me that nurses um once we've made our minds up we've made our minds up and your mum had made her mind up to take the injection on the 24th of january the astrazeneca and we must pay um we're, we're doing this interview for your mum and and your brother um and we'd like to just pay tribute to anthea your mum um because well we have to remember that every single person that you're speaking to and your mum they were loved ones they were people and they're being forgotten by pretty much everyone so this is very important that this is for Anthea and for Alex uh, for Alex's brother James and when she had this in the first injection on the 24th of January she because she got a history she was 71 wasn't she and she had a history of osteoporosis and she started to get really bad joint pain almost immediately didn't she after the injection and it worried you so you decided to go and stay with her so what happened when you got there how how did you find her 
So it was the Christmas lockdown, um, and obviously the lockdown was still continuing into January. And I'd just like to say that, um, you know, my mum was really, her instinct was right. There was something wrong about this. But I just want to say that, you know, people have made stupid comments, which I just ignore of, well, you know, she chose, she didn't. There was no informed choice going on. But she um, she took it in the end because I, um, I just wanted to say this, Debbie, that she did it out of love. And everyone I know has taken this out of love, worrying about the loved ones. They've fed on that and they've done a really good job of providing us all. And we need to point all in the same direction now because nobody's done this because they wanted to. You know, there's a lot of mocking going on out there. People who have died, people who are injured, and it's got to stop. Nobody's done this because they wanted to do this. They did it out of love and care for those around them. And that is why my mum took it in the end. She didn't want it. I didn't, and neither of us agreed with it. She knew her nursing instinct. She knew something was off. Uh, but she always used to say, I've been retired a long time. There's a lot I don't know now. Um, but she was a phenomenal nurse in her day. Um, towards the end of her life, yes, she suffered terribly. Um, <coughs> excuse me. With osteoporosis and osteoarthritis. The day after the dab, I was coming back from work and I came back from work, sorry, came into hers because I was staying at hers for the lockdown and I found her on the floor um, and I went to pick her up, which I you know, often used to help her and my brother helped her with the mobility, getting up out of chairs and this was a strong woman in her day and she was a nurse, you guys are strong, you have to be, um, but the osteoporosis had taken its toll. I found her on the floor and I went to pick her up and my mother screamed. I have never heard my mother scream. Her joints, um, she literally said to me, they were like they're on fire. Um, and she said the words, I want to die. She was in so much pain. Literally, I straightened her up to, to, to take her to bed, to get her in, into the bed. And she was in that much agony. And I'm, I'm listening to the vaccine injured talk in UK CV family the vaccine injured across the world talking, and so many of them are talking about bone pain, they're talking about dislocation of joints. It's it's unbelievable, and I'm, I'm learning so much from them about what my mum was probably going through in those last few days. Strangely enough, the day before she dies, it was like she was completely normal. And I know that there's a, um, I forget what they call it, but it's where um, the body kicks in the last sort of, hours before they, they pass over. But my mum, it's like she had no osteoporosis. It was really odd. Um, but that next day, immediately after, she was in the most immense pain. I mean, I've never seen her in pain like it. And she had um, osteoporosis in her spine, in her hands. Um, she'd had operations on her hands to try and straighten them out um, because osteoporosis and osteoarthritis had really um, taken its toll on my mum. But it's, as I say, it's a, it's a constant learning curve, and particularly the vaccine injured are so full of knowledge as to what they're dealing with, and bone pain just being one of them, um, one of the many things they deal with. So yeah, these doctors, they need to start speaking to vaccine injured and breathe. They'll start learning something, the starters. And that's exactly right, isn't it, Alex? Because yes. at the end of the day, your groups know more now than the, all of the experts pretty much put together. And I, I do think it's very important that we come back to a very important point that you made. And it's one that we've heard from everyone that's suffered with vaccine injuries and their families. And that is that 
people that took the vaccine did it because they a trusted the experts and b wanted to protect those around them and were told to protect the nhs and to protect those around them and and i think this is this is really a very important point everyone else has said the same this was done for good intentions so your mum took this injection out of love on the fourth day alex you went to work and you know you were in contact with your mum during the day most days and you knew she had a nap in the afternoon so you went to work on the 24th um you'd spoken to her in the morning you knew she was having a little yeah. sleep on the 28th sorry yeah. you knew she was having a little sleep what happened when you got back from work on that day um so i um had finished a bit early i was actually getting back to mum's at about quarter to five and um as i mentioned before it's very weird that the moments before certain situations and it was January, so it was very cold, and obviously it was getting dark. It was not, um, about five in the, in the evening, around five. Uh, but the air, everything was just really still. But it was a beautiful sunset, and it's just weird that the moments before something that well is the worst thing that's ever happened to me and my family. Um, and I walked in, and um, it was very cold in the flat, in my mum's flat, and um, it was dark, which was even if she was having an early night or you know, my brother and I came over and, and she'd had that pool lights on so that we could come in. We had our keys for obviously um, access for safety and things. And my mum's dog wasn't, Lily wasn't, um, wasn't there. And all the lights were off and the back doors were wide open. It was January, so it was really cold. And I, I went into the living room and mum's dog had, Lily had pushed the doors open and was barking in the garden. And I put the living room light on, and my mum's um, on the floor. You know, if this is if this is too much, ah. we can come back to it. And um, right, yeah, I've gone over to her, thinking that she's fallen, and I've gone to pick her up, and um, she's well, her eyes are open, she's gone. So I'm just screaming, trying to resuscitate her, trying to call the ambulance, trying to do everything at once. And um, eventually they turn up. I'm calling my brother, bless his heart, he has to come quite a distance knowing that she's gone. And I remember the paramedic, and this is what's appalled me with the medical profession, Debbie. Mum being a retired nurse, you know, you're, you're Hippocratic oath, first do no harm. People are talking about it all the time now. But that was sacrosanct to mum and, and, to, and to, to people in her profession at that time. He, he, he came in, he wouldn't come near her. He was like, oh, it's probably COVID. She's been gone for hours. And I'm like, begging him to do anything. It turns out that she had passed away hours before. But he's just like, just help me, do anything. I, I'm not medical, just, just, just you know, get your, I'm screaming at him, get your pedals out. I'm trying to resuscitate my own mother in front of a paramedic. You know, unable to do anything, obviously. Um, it's just the lack of, and I understand people, they're exhausted. And I understand at that time it was lockdown and they are, you know, running around, non-stop work. Mum used to say when she was busy on shift, you know, you're lucky if you get a glass of water, you, you don't stop. Um, so, you know, I really respect the medical profession. But my mother, if alive today, would be wiping the floor with 50% of them.
now, only now, some of them are starting to speak out about this. Um, it's a little, it's, it's pretty far down the track that you're speaking now. Uh, we're talking, to, well, just the beginning of 23 now. Um, so I'm just, all of them, from coroners to pathologists and other people that are speaking to me, that are now where we were almost two years ago as a family. And my heart breaks for them because I know what they're going to go through. Um, and I pray that, you know, they can get the right support and the right advice. And, and, I've, and I've, I've mentioned to you about, um, I'll talk about it a bit later, but the support that we got, the legal support that we got. Um, but to have your mum just brushed aside, oh, no, you know, not even coming over, oh, no, it's probably COVID. Well, he was wrong. That wasn't correct, was it? That didn't turn out to be right. I wanted to walk in front of a bus for the next four days until my COVID test came through to tell me I was negative. I thought I killed my mother with COVID. You know, there's a duty of care. We keep talking about these phrases, but they, they were, as I say, they were sacrosanct to my mother and to people like yourself. It's that old school of nursing that seems to have gone out the window. And I'm seeing it everywhere. I mean, having said that, there's been others that have stepped forward. I'll talk about the pathologist at my mum's inquest. Um, who asked? Who, who was speaking the truth last year about his findings with mum? But I'll, I'll digress. Sorry, I apologise. But after that, um, my brother was there, and then the police came, and mum was taken. You know, eventually taken. So we had some time with her. My brother got to have some time with her, which was just heartbreaking. How we got there, I don't know, because to know, you know, to find is one thing. To have to travel knowing she's gone, the distance he had to was. It's, that's just so hard. Um, and then, um, yeah, we were we were waiting waiting for the coroner to tell us um, uh, in regards to having an inquest because we were told we we had mum's service. Sorry, I'm singing zigzagging all over the place. We um, we had mum's service at the beginning of March, but she died at the end of January, and it took February. And I, and I understand these things take time. Um, Post mortem was done. Um, you know, it has to be done. She'd want me to be practical and talk about things, but it's your little mum, you know. Just you just don't want to think about it. But it had had to be done, obviously. Um, and we were told on the interim death certificate that mum had died from pneumonitis induced by AstraZeneca vaccine. And again, I'll say it again: my brother and myself, not remotely medical, had no interest in. In, in that world, even though mum was a, you know, a nurse, um, we're not legal. We were just flawed. Um, you don't want it to be this. Nobody wants it to be the vaccine. Vaccine injured and vaccine breathed don't want to be dealing with this. Um, you know, you want, it's going to be heartbreaking when someone goes anytime to know that they've gone naturally and when it was their time. I don't think it softens the blow. You're going to miss them just as much. But this just, this is just complicates the grief that you're going through anyway. Um, we were then told, skipping forward in June of 2021, so this is five months after mum had died, we were told there won't be an inquest. And my brother and I just couldn't understand what was going on. And the rest of my family were like, well, this doesn't make sense. And it's funny the people that come into your life at certain times, I, I won't mention her name, but a really lovely friend. She's um, med retired medical as well. And we'd met on a group on Facebook, which I'm not a fan of Facebook, but we'd met, you know, you're, you're scrabbling around for support wherever you can get it. Um, and so we'd, we'd met on a group there um, for like being injured and bereaved. And she said, you need to speak to 
Peter Todd. And I'd never heard of him. Um, he put, he'd give me all the information uh, about him. Um, he's a medical solicitor. I know I'm not speaking out of turn by saying his name because I have asked him if I can mention him today. Um, but he, he, he was phenomenal and so gentle and kind, but also there's a, there's a rod of steel through that man. And he is wanting to stand up and, and, and speak up for and fight these cases. Mum's case was getting swept under the carpet. And if it wasn't for him and the pathologist speaking up, it would be still now. It would be, it would be shoved aside. And what's, what's awful is people coming to me now, like I just said earlier, who are just at the beginning of this journey. And for some people that are speaking to me, it's too late. They've had the service, to put it bluntly. They, there is no evidence now. It's too late. And I have been speaking to other people in various professions who are like, yes, that has been going on. And I, and I say I'm not going to put people in positions where um, you know, I put them on the line. That's up to them to step up. But uh, without Peter, we wouldn't have got the inquest. We had to, well, he, he then requested a judicial review, which was um, autumn. Uh, yeah, autumn, beginning of winter, he requested that because he was like, I think I'm wording this correctly, but if you if you have multiple reasons for death, one of those things on there is unnatural on the death certificate or, or, or is, coming, is being shown as a cause of death. One of those things is unnatural. You can have multiple things. Um, then an inquest should be held. It's, my understanding is, my understanding is that is standard practice. And so he couldn't, he couldn't understand what was going on. Um, so we, we asked him to submit a judicial review. Um, and then the coroner, within the time frame, said, yes, we will have an inquest. So he managed to get that. If it wasn't for him, it wouldn't have happened. Because I, I do not have a scooby-doo about legal stuff. Um, sales and marketing and distribution all my life and as was my brother um, you know why would I know what to do so people are in this position where you are you know an everyday person and you're having to understand medical and legal issues you, you know you need the support and help and, and this is where and I, I know I speak for the for other people when it would be great if we could have some and there's a lot of legalities that are going on with different people but if we could have some volunteers coming forward even an hour a month of, of legal advice on a Zoom group with various groups, and there's other fantastic groups. There's Vip UK. I know they've got they've got their their campaigns going on. There's there's global jab um, injuries. There's so many campaigns going going on at the moment. So there's so many of us going through this, and we need that legal support because otherwise people's loved ones are just just being dismissed. And you know this isn't for money. This is this is to do justice for my mum. You know as far as I'm concerned, she's been killed. So this is to do justice for my mum. She wouldn't have this. She would stand up to this. And this is why I'm speaking up. Um, and more people are speaking up because this is going on every day. And the numbers, we are getting the numbers. I am personally getting the numbers coming to me off of my social medias, asking for Peter's details, asking for what our experience was. Whatever solicitor you need to use, fine. But I'm just, I'm telling you what my, my process was. And he, he, if it wasn't for him, as I keep saying, we would not have had the inquest. And I am forever grateful. Um, and the pathologist that stood up at the inquest, and that was June 22. So it was literally a year and five months um, 
from mom's death that we finally had the inquest. And there's people still waiting for inquest. Um, you know, I, I actually think we, we had it quite quick, um, considering what I'm hearing. To be honest with you, Alex, I mean, I cannot even begin to think what you've been through because we've heard this before where people have been unsuccessful um, in turning decisions around, unsuccessful in being able to even obtain post-mortems and you have trailblazed your way through determination but having to to put aside grieving as well because you know as you said no nobody wants this to be a vaccine injury no no nobody nobody wants to lose their mum and and we'll come on to what the pathologist said at the inquest because I think that's really important but also to highlight that where are you all to, to the coroners why aren't yeah, you standing are up because yeah. the coroners well, are the one link yeah they're the one link that the one group together with hematologists i might add as well and um, some pharmacologists that are not standing up and when i wrote to the chief coroner i pretty much got what alex thompson would refer to as word soup back and with door slam but you have trailblazed and i know that our viewers and listeners that are that are watching are going to say who is this peter todd how do i get hold of peter todd so we will put details up but you can find peter todd on twitter um at peter todd so that's the little a and peter todd that's his handle on twitter or email p todd at scomo s-c-o-m-o dot com so if anybody does want to contact him those are his contact details so we have this amazing medical solicitor but i also want to stress that this doesn't come free you know the families have to be in a position to be able to afford legal advice in the first place let alone taking it all the way to judicial review like you have so um and i can understand why uk cv family need donations as as many as possible on their gofundme page because you know not all families are in a position to be able to fight any battles and sadly the days of um legal aid have pretty much disappeared so it's really important that these families receive the legal help but i mean there's a few points here alex i just want to return to because number one it's very surprising that actually they put on the interim death certificate um almost death by astrazeneca is what they were saying um did you have any contact with AstraZeneca and did you, had you submitted a yellow card to the MHRA? Yes, submitted the yellow card, um, got the usual automated emails that you get back. Um, AstraZeneca, it was, um, I think the, the best phrase was questionnaire was sent to me after I submitted mum's information and that was it. Peter requested at the inquest um, that MHRA attend or make a statement, and he requested the same of AstraZeneca. Nothing, not a word. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we we've spoken before, obviously, and we were talking about the involvement of the MHRA, and I've heard from the MHRA board meetings and um, lectures and talks that June Rain and Alison Cave have done that they investigate every fatality from COVID-19 injection. Okay. And I know from you now that number one, they haven't investigated, but number two, when you said that they'd sent you a questionnaire, I said to you, so they're actually not 
asking how you are and any circumstances and what they can do for help. All they're doing is requiring more data from you, more information. They're not yes. offering yeah. any type of help. So you've had no interaction with the MHRA, given that your mother on her death certificate, it has said induced pneumonitis induced by AstraZeneca. You have had yeah. no interaction with the MHRA at all. Am I, am I correct in that? Yeah, I mean, I've, I, I, all, all I've had, as I say, was the, I submitted the yellow card information. I thought that was very important to do, beginning to wonder. Um, and um, was the automated, that you get back, the automated email. And I've had, as I say, with AstraZeneca, it was, it was like, um, questionnaire isn't quite right, but it was that sort of tick box, that was it, nothing. It seems to be the way of the MHRAs. They well, say I'm, one I'm not thing surprised. and they do another. I'm not yeah, they're, they're beyond useless. They're shambles. They really are. So we've now got amazing angel in human form, Peter, who has he's challenged the coroner's decision not to hold an inquest. Because let's not forget, too, that your mum was, was her body was held for three months, so you weren't even allowed a funeral until the March. Um, and now we're suddenly June, and you suddenly get told, no, sorry, inquest is off. So you go down the track, and, and Peter manages to get the inquest. But let's rewind, because something else happened in, in between um, you getting the inquest. Um, tragically, tell us about Christmas. Um, Alex and your brother, because as if things weren't bad enough, they took a very dark, tragic turn. Tell us what happened. I know this is going to be really difficult for you, Alex, because when I heard your story for the first time, I absolutely couldn't believe it. So, for just to help you out a little uh -huh. bit here, and I just want you to have a Take a breath and please feel free to jump in when you when you feel ready to. Your beloved brother, a young man who'd had a few medical problems, but was funny and outgoing and you had a very close relationship. with Christmas yeah. Eve 2021. Yes. Um, he, um, yeah, he went in with um, um, he caught COVID. He had been with me. Four days before, I have a video of him um, laughing about being ridiculous. And so it was a Tuesday that he was with me. And by the Friday, he was in ICU. It was that quick for him. Um, and I'm getting really tired of people telling other people what their experience is or that they're wrong. Now, I don't care what people want to call it COVID, SARS, this, that, the other. He was ill. In life, he, he he was only forty three, bless his heart, and it's actually his anniversary tomorrow. But um, I think what we should say is that James went into hospital. He was taken into ICU. Um, he was put on mechanical ventilation. You yes, tried to stay he, with yeah. him. Yeah, we we will. So basically, when I got there on Christmas Eve to pick him up, he'd said um, Wednesday evening, Thursday morning of that week, 
that he was, you know, not feeling good. This was, and I, I just, you know, did the usual older sister thing. You know, what man flew buck up? It's Christmas Eve. You know, this is the first Christmas without mum. We're all going to be together as a family. I come and pick you up. And when I got there on Christmas Eve morning, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And it, it was like he was suffocating in front of me. Um, and I know for the majority of people, yes, COVID is just like a cold. I think I had it way back, and it was just like a cold for me. Um, but it was, I've not, I, the closest that I mentioned this to you before, Debbie, um, previously, um, it was the closest I can compare it to is like an asthma attack. But it was, he was frightened. He was very scared. Um, and he'd had a, a, you know, usual cold in the autumn, got rid of it fine with paracetamol all the usual sort of cough medicines but this was different and and it is different and the paramedics came and to be fair they were amazing uh, compared to mum's paramedic they were amazing um, and they actually wanted him to stay in the flat um, so they spent a good hour doing tests you know whatever tests they could do with obviously with the equipment they had but he his oxygen levels were so low um, that he was, he wanted to go in. He, he, they said we need to take him in. Um, he's a forty-three-year-old man. They wanted him to stay at home. I was happy to cancel Christmas, be there, do the ten days, 12, uh, fourteen days, whatever we need to do, lock ourselves in. Um, but it was, it was dangerous. His levels of oxygen uh, were dangerously low. So he went in, and they kept him on a ward, um, on a mask, and they. Didn't put him um, or didn't take him to the ICU um, until that night. So he was on the ward for a good 10, 11 hours. And they were constantly calling me saying, We want to see um, his levels up. We, they want him out of there. They want him home. Um, they, they didn't want to, I know they didn't, they didn't want to um, put this young man on a ventilator. And his last text to me, I still have it, bless his heart, um, was, They're going to put me to sleep now. And a big kiss. And then the 6th of January, he died. So he went in on Christmas Eve. On the 2nd of January, he, there was a big, big window of hope. Um, the ICU nurses called me. I mean, I was calling every day. But obviously, you can't go in. You can't be in and out. And the ICU nurses um, called me and said, great news. We, um, he'd had some infections, the antibiotics. He wasn't reacting well to them. They'd found one that was, he was reacting well to. And they said he will be fully awake by the end of the night shift. He's already shown signs. We've started to reduce sedation. And he's already showing signs of, of um, breathing for himself around the equipment, because obviously you can't just wake somebody up. It has to be done very carefully and slowly. So I remember I was with my family, and, and we were all just celebrating that he's coming home. And all the things we were going to do, and, and the foods we were going to give him, and I, of course, was going to give him earache. And then they called me the next morning and they said, unfortunately, we've had to be fully sedated. And I was, what are you talking about? I, you know, you, you told me by the end of the shift, he'd, he'd be awake. I was in my naivety. I thought they were calling for me to speak to him. And they said, no, he's, the infection's um, taken care of the worse. Um, and my, my brother had um, a developed sepsis, which obviously if you go into hospital, the germs, et cetera, you know. What's the phrase? Don't go into hospital if you don't want to get ill or die, particularly now with what's going on. But his body he couldn't fight it anymore, and I was called in on the fifth, 
before a year ago today. I was called in for end of life care, uh, end of life, sorry, um, end of life time with him. Um, and I know he could hear me. Um, as I said before to you, Debbie, um, mum always used to say that hearing is the last thing to go. And I was uh, telling him off, telling him he's going to wake up and come back. Um, telling him he wasn't going to miss me. He's, he's with you right now. Alex, and, and he really is, and I think we should point out to our viewers and listeners that the photographs behind you are your mum and your brother, and today, for the interview, you thought you'd probably need a quiet environment, so you're now looking after Lily, your mum's dog, yeah. and you shut her out of the room this morning, but she wasn't going <laughs> to have any of it, and no. she was barking to come back in, so, yeah. you know, you've got Lily with yeah. you. Yeah. Good. I'm so glad. And and the pictures behind you are are beautiful. And we'll make yeah. sure that we we show our viewers and listeners those a little bit closer up. Um, Thank you. Because this is yeah. all about James and and Anthea. So, yeah. what 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 alarmed me slightly um, when when James was dying and you knew that he was dying because he was on end of life care. You you were with him. Um, but you wanted to stay. You wanted to stay in the hospital. In fact, you you said you didn't want to be any trouble. You would just sit in the day room because you knew that he was close to the end. But what kind of response did you get when you when you asked if you could do that? Um. So I they gave. I was there for about three and a half hours. They, they allowed me to have that. Um. The doctor was appalling, as Mum would have had a field day with him. His bedside manner. He could do with some training. Um. But I was told to go home. I asked if I could stay in the waiting room, a day room waiting room. It just off of it. Um, I appreciate it's ICU. I appreciate you can't be in and out. Of course, people are sick in there. Um, but they were like, no, you can't even stay in the waiting room. And I was like, well, why not? Um, you know, I'll, I'll just I'll sleep there. I wasn't going to sleep, but I'll just stay there. And then, um, you know, I could be there when when it's the end. Um, and he. It would have been about, about eight o'clock that I left that night. Yeah, about eight o'clock. And um, yeah, the nurses in ICU were amazing. Um, I mean, I remember giving them absolute earache, saying he's not vaccinated. My mother died from the vaccine. Um, anybody starts with me or or doesn't look after my brother, of course they're going to. You know, they do an amazing job. Um, but you know, you'll you'll be dealing with me and the rest of my family, and I'll. You know anything else I could throw at you, um, but they were they were fantastic and they and they were really honest. They said, "Look, we've got a mixture in here. The media don't talk about it, but we've got a mixture of unvaccinated and vaccinated people in ICU." And these are the ICU nurses talking to me, telling me this. Um, and they said he will get all. You know they, you know, they remarked about how handsome he was because he was he was a very handsome man and forty three. They wanted him out. You know they wanted him up, and that's why the second. Of January, I know that they were. Well, the nurse was just ecstatic on the phone. He's out of there. He's coming home. As far as she was concerned. Um, but yes, I then was told to go home, um, and it was uh, five o'clock. I was called at six to say that he passed away, and it was about three o'clock, three o'clock. Um, but I know he heard me. As I said, he um, I was giving him. Telling off and joking with him and just being with him and stroking his hair and um, he, yeah he, he 
I he had taken him down and so I I understand that thing for me. Yes, I think it's something that your mum would have would have said to you and um yeah. every nurse knows that the hearing and I think it's very important for, for relatives and family to know because the hearing is the last sense to go and the last thing that you want is doctors all around a bed talking about things in front of a patient just because they're unconscious just because they're on a ventilator doesn't mean to say they can't hear so it's really really important for people to talk um and and i'm glad you told him off as a big sister would but, yeah absolutely but at the end of the day alex in the background we've still got peter todd working away um, with the judicial review. Your brother never saw the result of that. You were not only grieving or not being allowed to grieve for your mother, you were having to fight the legal, well, you were having to set a legal challenge at cost to you and your brother. Your brother then gets very sick and tragically dies. And I, I cannot possibly imagine what you must have been feeling because it's almost like you're being attacked on all fronts because yeah, then so, you have to yeah. organize your brother's you know you have to say goodbye to your brother while still having to navigate this course with the with the um inquest what how did that go tell us how you went and how peter or how you managed to get through the terrible loss of james and to navigate your way through to get the inquest reinstated. Peter had confirmation before that Christmas of 2021 that the inquest would go ahead. So my brother did know that there would be an inquest. So that's that's always like, we did it, we got it. But obviously he didn't live to see the inquest and the outcome. Um, he knows now. Um, they both know now. Um, but yeah, going forward then obviously, um, to say goodbye to James and for the whole family to just you know another death and to have lost the two most amazing people in my world to either end of this and to have people tell you your misinformation and to have people tell you you're wrong I'm getting very really tired of it I'm getting really sick of it and I'm fed up with people attacking the vaccine industry greed who are doing their best just to get through each day with grief, with injuries, with legal issues, um, and and the, the likes of Peter Todd and, and other other professionals stepping up is 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 an absolute ray of sunshine in a very dark world at the moment. He got the the inquest to be held in well June June twenty twenty two. I'm still in I'm still understanding the twenty twenty three, and so this yeah last year twenty twenty two now. And we had the inquest, and I've got to be honest, I thought it'd be an absolute whitewash. I thought they'll shove it back under the carpet. You kind of, you kind of hope that you know, somebody might say something, but we were not remotely um, expecting the pathologist to be as honest and to stand up and say what he did. And of course, he's dealing with the findings. You know, it's not Trevor in his tracksuit behind his keyboard here. This is his pathologist. He's dealing with my mum. He's dealing with this case. Um, and as the coroner said at the end, she said, thank you for your honesty, because it is um, your findings that we rely on heavily to make the decision, the verdict. Um, 
And his, I mean, obviously, inquest is long. I had my wonderful best friend there, his family support, um, and he was there. And his words, I'll never forget, after all the findings and everything that they went through, um, he was asked by the coroner, was AstraZeneca vaccine fatal for my mother? And he said, yes, it was. His words, she would be here today had she not been given the vaccine. I mean, I, I literally, my, my heart just shattered all over again. And you want the truth. I want the truth, but to hear it, you know, just to know that there I, you know, I took her for the, for the damn jab. I didn't, I didn't agree with it. She didn't. But, you know, you think that, that one injection in, in her little arm, and that's it, four days later. And he stood up, and he was so honest with his findings, and I will be forever grateful to that pathologist. Um, I won't be naming his name or anything like that, because that's down to individuals to stand up, as I say, said before. But he was completely honest with, with, with his mum's case, and I wasn't expecting it. You know, I was really expecting it to be off shelf. And this is why, again, I'm speaking up, I keep saying it, because I've got people who are there now where we were, and my heart breaks for them. And I will, you know, there's nothing Alex, I can do, but I will always speak up about it. Yeah, and, and I think it's important also to, to say that inquests are very traumatic, can be very yeah, traumatic. It's awful. I literally events. felt like I was out of my body, to be honest. I didn't feel like I was in the room. It's, it's, it's nothing I, I've experienced before. It was it's horrible. It's an oh, awful experience, but it has to be done. And mum would want me to be practical. Um, and I and I was yeah, no way I was going to get justice for my mum. No way. No, because you have to. You know, you have to hear accounts from medical professionals. You have to see pictures, see slides as well, see evidence. So this is a traumatic procedure. Now, given that the death certificate said pneumonitis induced by AstraZeneca injection, yeah. I would hope that both the MHRA and AstraZeneca were represented at the inquest. Um, what did they have to say? Uh, zero. A big fat zero. Nothing. Peter had asked them, both AstraZeneca and MHRA, to attend. You know, it's a long shot, but attend. He asked um, a statement, if not attending. Nothing. Not a word. Nothing. That just speaks volumes. Wouldn't, wouldn't you want to know? Wouldn't you want... If, if you're pro this or you're working in that industry, wouldn't you want to know what these cases are, are, are about, what's happening to these people? Surely. Uh, wouldn't you think sense. that there would be a legal obligation? You know, for me, there would be, oh. there should be a legal obligation. This is, as you've said before, your mother was killed. It was induced and the pathologist said that she would be still here if it wasn't for AstraZeneca. And yet AstraZeneca aren't attending the inquest. They're not asked for evidence. No one's questioning them, as with the MHRA, who approved this injection, which now, by the way, has pretty much been ditched without anybody really taking too much notice of, you know, AstraZeneca. Everybody was taking AstraZeneca, and then all of a sudden, nobody's talking about it anymore. So, you know, you've, you really have, you're a groundbreaker, Alex. You really are a complete groundbreaker because you've, you've taken, a situation which was, well, most people would have given up, but you've managed to get through and get that inquest reinstated. Why is there no legal obligation? I think, you know, 
we should find out if we don't know or, or perhaps do you know if there is and, and they they shirked their legal obligation i have no idea and it's a very good point because i think i mean this whole indemnity for the pharmaceuticals that's going on um, and, and and the government gave them is that the re you know what what are the legal you know implications with all of that so i don't know if it's part of of that indemnity or not but you'd think but i mean the pharmaceuticals the government and mainstream media I mean, it's just a cesspit of horrors it really is and you know this is why people like yourself the uk column having decency to give real people you know we're not we're not some social media account and that's all we are we're people you know these are real lives that they have destroyed taken as i said my mother's been killed as far as i'm concerned that's my opinion and i'm absolutely right on it um the injuries they're life-changing these vaccine injuries they're not on the sofa watching daytime tv for a few weeks with a bit of lemsip and you know it's an illness it's it's injury to their bodies um as i said learning so much from the vaccine injury they're amazing they really are and as you quite rightly have said you know many of these injuries they're life-changing and sometimes yeah. tragically life ending and the ripple effects for the whole family you know people have lost their loved ones they've lost relationships they've lost their jobs they've lost their homes um yeah. we've recently spoken to charlotte at uk cv family and and that interview will be coming out soon um it's probably already gone out now by the time this one's gone out but we always try to catch up with all of those who were vaccine injured and and those that have been bereaved because the story must remain. We must remain on top of this. We must not allow this to be swept under the carpet, which is what the coroners are doing. And I'd come back yeah. to the fact that the coroners are really letting us down. No one's speaking up. No one's talking to us. And they should be. We've already got one coroner now who knows that your mum died of an AstraZeneca vaccine. Why is that not all over? The mainstream media why are we not hearing about that and and this is yeah. this it brings me back to inquests and the legality of, of these yeah. people are getting away literally with murder and but you know with or with every interview that i do now alex and I, I i do like to think that this is probably going to stay for me is that i like to give everybody that we interview the last word because you are raising so many red flags when you're really needing to grieve, you've been through huge trauma, huge emotional um, experience. You've lost the two dearest people in your life, uh, in your life, and you're now having to fight on behalf—not just still on, on behalf of your mum and behalf of your brother—but you're having to fight on behalf of other people, um, which is extraordinary. I don't know how you how anybody manages to do it whilst they're still grieving. I just wanted to just quickly say there is um, a campaign that's running across January, and as, as Fiona said, and, I, and I've, I've mentioned her to you before, it's called the Truth Be Told campaign. If you're vaccine injured or bereaved, um, you can get involved and you can be heard, you can be seen. Um, but it's across the country, and as she said, it's, um, it doesn't end in January because this isn't ending. Um, but she's doing a phenomenal job of giving the vaccine injured and bereaved a voice. Um, she's speaking to us all independently from different groups. It's not a, it's not a, a, a affiliated with any groups. It's her her wish to have 
us have a voice and a face because no one's, as you know, no one's listening. You guys know a few select others. Um, so if you can check it out, um, there's marches. I'll, I'll send you the link there. There's marches across the country, but it's it's a lot of it's about information. She's got doctors coming. She's got vaccine delivery speaking. Um, this is not for conspiracy theories and chemtrails. And um, you know, you can have your opinion. I have my plenty of plenty of my own opinions on on what's going on and what's been going on. But this is this is about the voice of of us being heard. Um, we're real people. And talking of legalities, she she wants to make sure that you know she's been shut down. She's had she's, she'll talk to you about it herself, but she's had all sorts of uh, sort of uh, um, what should I say uh, being being quietened down, being shut down. Um, but she wants to be able to help those that are injured, bereaved, and if you need legal help, you need a care. You know, she's trying to raise funds so that those those people are helped. Because yeah, going forward, there are there's going to be cases, in my opinion, just from what I'm seeing. And again, that's my opinion. Um, and and I would also say to anybody that's listening that needs that this is this is sounding familiar to you, or you need some help or support, please go to UKCV Family website. We'll put the link up um, on the page um, because you can get hold of Alex through that page. You can just use the contact form. Um, because there's going to be, as Alex says, lots more cases. But for my final words, before I hand over to you for your final words, Alex, my final words are thank you. We all need to be listening to you. Your story is absolutely harrowing. And the fact that you're telling your story, you're alerting us. We need to hear you. We need to be listening to you because they're for the grace of God go the rest of us so thank you um but i as always i do want to give you the last word and if there is a message that you would like to give whether it be to june rain the professionals to people out there watching and listening to others that are bereaved in memory of your wonderful beloved mum anthea and your beloved brother james i want to hand over to you for the last words and again thank you so much Alex because I know that we will be catching up with you again and we will be following your story because there's more of your story to tell so on that note please to all listeners um, and viewers please share this um, and please share the details if you know anybody that that needs Alex or UKCV families help so over to you Alex and thank you again thank you David thank you giving us uh, the platform um reiterating what you're saying i just want people out there to know that if you're vaccine injured or bereaved we are here um you're not alone and i want to say to the pharmaceuticals astrazeneca pfizer moderna johnson and johnson novavax and the rest we see you